Sustainable, the podcast, is listened to in 20 countries over five continents and features inspiring interviews with leaders of sustainable practices. With your host, Tabby Jane, CEO and founder of EarthSelf, creating a global movement to educate leaders and organizations on the transformative power of nature-centered business. In episode 51, I spoke to Alistair Mitchell Baker, Coordinating Director of Tricordon, an organisation that supports leaders working through complex strategic and organisational issues to help them create whole and healthy organisations where people can reach their full potential. Today, I'm speaking to Will Richardson. Will Richardson is the Managing Director of Green Element. Green Element is an environmental management consultancy agency that is passionate about encouraging businesses to develop their relationship with the environment, leading to reduced overheads and improved green credentials, powerful for financial growth and public and stakeholder opinion. A registered B Corps, Green Element practices what it preaches to understand the drivers and needs of an organisation as they understand their own. Will is an associate member of the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment, a graduate member of Chartered Institution of Water and Environmental Management, and currently sits on the board and was past chairman of the Metropolitan Branch for the Chartered Institution of Water and Environmental Management. Welcome, Will. It's great to have you on Sustainable today. Hi there. Thank you very much for having us. So let's get started. Why don't you let us know why it's important to integrate business and business environmental management? It really just helps companies reduce operational costs and minimise their impact on the environment. It's a, um, for me, it's a no brainer. If you're using too much energy, you should be reducing it. And by reducing it, you reduce your overheads. And I always wonder, and we, went into the recession in what 2008 and one of the things I used to talk to people about was we could reduce your overheads by you know two three hundred thousand pounds and that would save what eight nine jobs and they'd look at us and go brilliant great and it's kind of correlating those all the way through and by reducing your overheads you're actually minimizing your environmental impact mm. Yeah. And it's 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 kind of that in the simplest sense, you know, sustainability is not just this let's feel good about doing good and helping the planet. It just makes financial sense. Yeah, absolutely. Although I have been told off on a few um, pitches to clients saying, oh, look how much money you can save because you're da 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 da. And they look at me and going, we are not doing this because we want to save money. We're doing it because we want to reduce our environmental impact. And it's actually really nice to hear, to be honest with you, because I am always surprised about how many companies are genuinely doing it because of the fact they want to reduce their environmental impact. Yeah, no, that's that, that that's great to hear because it's kind of like this fine balancing point, isn't it? Who who or which are the organisations that want to hear about the financial impact of it because they don't quite get the sustainability, and where are the organisations that just know that this is the right thing to do? Absolutely, absolutely. Although, to be honest with you, if I'm being brutally honest, if they are doing it for financial reasons and they do it really really well then i don't really care because <laughs> read either <laughs> it's kind of a no-brainer yeah yeah well this is it i mean who, who who doesn't want to make you know to save money i mean i think that's everybody yeah yeah so then what are some of the practices that you adopt in your organization that help you practice what you preach <laughs> um i read this and i went oh god what do we do 
And then you start kind of thinking about it and you go, actually, it's almost within our DNA. And I think it's because one of the things that I ask of everyone is you have to be environmental. So the first line of every single job advert that we put out is, are you environmental? And that means an awful lot to me because if you are absolutely environmental, then you will try and help other companies to become more environmental and they will also listen to you. So um, we've just been recruiting for a new um, junior environmental management consultants. And some of the questions that have been asked to me is, do I need a car? Um, I do drive. I haven't bought a car yet. And I, I was like, actually, you don't need a car because yes, some of our places that we work are in remote areas. We've got abattoirs in the middle of Suffolk. We've got companies in um, deepest, darkest um, Cornwall. But actually, do you really need a car? No, I I have traveled to every single one of our clients by um, train and by bike. I cycle, I cycle a lot. I don't expect people to cycle 10 miles um, to clients' offices, but you can always get taxes. You know, you actually don't need to we're in such the mindset of oh well that's way that's the way you get to the middle of suffolk actually you can go elsewhere and so yeah it it is within us and we that's kind of practice what you preach and people are always surprised about the fact that we've turned up by train and i encourage it as well even if it does cost a tiny bit more to travel by train you can do an awful lot more on a train than you can in a car while you're driving yeah um we're a b corp and um, that came up because a client of ours was quite interested in becoming a benefit corporation and they wanted to um, ensure that their supply chain were and being their environmental managers. They were like, well, you should be. Have you thought about it? And I was like, yeah, OK, looked at it. It's a lot harder than I expected, if I'm being brutally honest, but a huge but i think that's a good thing i think the fact that it is hard to become a b corp means that it means there's a lot more gravitas to it similar to like iso 14001 is changing and has transitioned into a, a new um era new standard as, as it were for 2015 and that is a lot harder and that will add more gravitas to a step to that particular standard mm -hmm. um we are completely paperless. We don't print anything out. Um, we work off, consultants work off tablets and writing everything down on the screen, which helps our project management anyway. And um, analysts work off computers. We work remotely. We have um, people working all over the UK and we work using technology. Skype, we have Skype days where we all sit down and we turn our Skype on at nine o'clock in the morning and we work through the day and when we haven't got videos on, but we just talk to each other as if we're in an open plan office. Mm. It's, but it's actually quite nice because you can turn if, so, you know, when someone's on the t telephone and they're just chatting away and you're like, Oh, for heaven's sake, shut up. And you're in an open plan office. You can't actually say to them, can you please be quiet or stop talking so loudly? Or if two people are having a conversation when you're on Skype, you can actually just press mute <laughs> and turn off the, I have an open plan offices. Can you do that? I just think it's the way forward personally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I like that. I'm sort of thinking, yes, there's, there's, there's been so many times that I have been listening to people when I've been working and going, oh man, like just be quiet. I want to focus on what I'm doing. Mm. 
<laughs> and you don't do it obviously for the rest of the day because that would defeat the purpose of working together but there's there is about half an hour that you're trying to work on something that you actually do need quite a lot of concentration whether it's writing an email to a prospective client or putting together the final throws of a proposal that you don't want to make a mistake on mm, yeah yeah, no, I, I think that's great. I mean, there's lot, lot, lots of great suggestions there that you've got in terms of having the B course. So you're, you're, you know, you've got strict standards to go to, being completely paperless, working remotely, using technology to help you, and encouraging travel by train. Perfect. So then. I know that you're constantly looking for new ways to help organisations become more environmentally friendly. And one of the ways in which you've done this is through developing the world's first comprehensive online carbon calculator. Can you tell us a bit more about this, why it's important and what makes it unique? Um, We're so, well, we, um, actually, no, I think we, we are green elements are excited. I'm blatantly really excited about this, but um, we have to benchmark well so we've we do the normal scope one two and three carbon footprinting for clients and we use the mandatory excel spreadsheets and we go through it and we download the most recent data from defra and the um and then we've always we've actually always benchmarked um companies against because we've been doing this for the last 15 years we have an awful lot of data that we've collected over the years and um, we always benchmark our clients against other people within their industry through the normalization of um, data. And every industry has their own um, normalization. So a laundry firm would be kilograms of laundry laundered or, um, you know, office is per meter squared. A lot of businesses do it do, um, through turnover as well. And so we, we were spending a lot of time on spreadsheets and we – I thought, well, actually, considering that we do a lot of timesheets and we monitor exactly what we spend our time on, and I knew that we were spending quite a lot of time on all this kind of stuff, and I just thought, actually, how can we minimise the amount of time we're spending on that? Let's build a database and put things together. So we started building a database. I employed a couple of people to help us do that. And then it dawned on me that we were spending quite a lot of time on building this database, but the long run would be that it would help us enormously and be able to um, fast track what we do. And I thought, actually, why can't we see if we can monetize this? But I'm not, I've never been in the um, spirit of let's make as much money as possible. And we had at the same time got become a B Corp. And I thought, how can we actually help people and do more B Corp stuff. So compare your footprint, as far as I'm concerned, will become its own B Corp. And I will go on to what we're going to do with that, because that's a slightly different way of looking at how to become a B Corp. Um, And um, so we won't be charging an awful lot of money for compare your footprint. At the moment, we're in beta, 99 quid per report. And ultimately, it'll be £299 per report. I want to work with consultants. I want to work with our competitors. I've spoken to quite a few people. I know a lot of people in this industry. And we'll be giving very good preferential rates to people because it will help them on their time as well. So therefore, they'll be able to do the scope one, two, and three emissions. We bought a load of data in order to benchmark absolutely every industry because obviously we weren't big enough to do that. And um, I want to help 
as many companies and consultants that do what we do to do it, but then they'll be helping the B Corp side of things. And that will be, um, there's a massive problem that we've got where there are environmental charities that are desperate to try and help um, very small businesses or people or, you know, they're doing really good things, but they don't have the expertise to be able to do it and they can't afford to pay for people. There is an awful lot of job seekers. So I work as a um, visiting professor in different universities. And one of the questions that I have to help answer is how do I get a job and what experience do I need? And therefore, any job seeker, whether you're a school leaver, whether you're a graduate or whether you're someone that wants to transition from a one career into another career into the environmental world, um, they're all looking for work and they all need experience. So what we're going to be doing is paying £10 an hour for that job seeker to go and work for that charity. And we will marry up those, um, that, you know, those two parties. And I've worked out that if it's £10 an hour, I think that it's going to be roughly 13 14 pounds an hour altogether because of the time that we'll be spending behind the scenes uh, marrying things up and we're going to um, ask charities to um, put forward their be- reason why we should use them we'll only use 10 of them and then because it's a worldwide car- carbon calculator we're going to have charities from all over the world in different areas that um, are able to use job seekers from all over the world from those particular areas. And I know there's going to be a fair amount of work that's going to be involved in that's behind the scenes, but actually it's really, really, I'm just, this is the bit I'm actually most excited about almost. Although I think that it's a game changer. The carbon calculator itself is a complete game changer because nothing has been done like that. I know there are similar things, but not in as much detail as we, you can literally carbon footprint a package from from Beijing to London or, you know, whatever you, whatever you want. And um, in the long run, I would love for every report to give a day, not an hour. But I always think I walk before you can run. So I'm just doing the walking at the moment and just giving an hour. And then we will also be putting everything online. So we'll be very open and transparent with the money that we're making. We're going to be publishing our um, finances. And I just want to basically say to people, look, use this. And you will see where the money goes and you'll see what's going on behind the scenes. Mm, yeah. And I, I like that because, I mean, what you're saying is there's a completely innovative business model behind this that you're doing in terms of like partnerships and collaborations that is going to develop. But the amount of data and the ability to to really see what's happening in terms of understanding your carbon footprint is just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I was, so we launched it about six weeks ago and... Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, if, if anybody's listening and they, they, they want to go and try it out, all they need to do is go to www.compareyourfootprint.com and they can see exactly what you're um, so passionate about and uh, try it out for themselves. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So where do businesses and organisations start when they want to reduce their environmental impact? Now, I've said as a way of improving financial growth, but even if they just want to improve their fina- environmental impact understand where they are and what impact they actually have and that sounds very um basic and crass but we i'm always surprised about how many businesses we talk to and you ask very simple questions so how much what's your energy spend 
Oh, I don't know. Mm, okay, so let's have a look and you go back. And you, you know you're spending £190,000 a year on electricity alone. Really? That much? Yep. Wow. Okay. And you can easily reduce that £190,000 down. So especially in the first year, what, 10, 15, 20%, just by ironing out all the creases, just by going, well, why is it on then? Why is it on then? What's going on there? Why are you leaving it on um, the, over the long weekends? What's, you know, why don't you reduce your temperatures by somewhat? I mean, people have been talking about this and um, we all know the Carbon Trust have been writing the, um, you're not the reports, but turned down a degree by this and Energy Savings Trust has been talking about this. And there have been institutions that have been talking about this for decades and we're still doing it. Mm. And we're not listening. <laughs> and uh, that is where I would start. And if you're already there and you're already doing that, then your next bet is to have someone look at what you're doing in more detail. Someone that's, I think, passionate about the environment. The reason being is they tend to have a particular hat on their head and they tend to think slightly differently to other people because they will look at it from a reducing environmental impact type of way. And that could be someone in-house. You more than likely have someone within your organisation that is passionate about the environment that would like to take the lead on something like that. And that's the reason why green teams have come about. And that's the reason why they've been about for so many years now is because there's always a group of people within organisations that are passionate about it. But you need someone to be able to lead those green teams. And yeah, we're a consultancy at Green Element that help companies reduce their environmental impact. And I'm obviously going to say you need not obviously you don't you don't need to use a consultant but it kind of it'll cut out it'll make things move much quicker there's a reason why people use consultants but you never know you may actually have someone within the organization that will be able to do it but you've got to give them the remit and you've got to give them the um, rope to be able to do something because it, just by saying to someone yep go and do it if they don't feel like they've got any kind of um, you know, sway or gravitas on any of the decisions that they make, then it's not going to work anyway. And a consult, I guess, outside people always feel like they've got that gravitas because they've been employed by top down from the CEO downwards. And um, I'm always surprised if, and I think it annoys quite a lot of companies that we turn, well, why are the light switches on? And then they're like, oh, we'll, we'll switch them off. And then you meet the head of facilities and they're like, I've been saying this for years. Why won't they do what I... And, <laughs> and I just don't get it. I, and I'm with him or her. I'm like, what? I totally agree. Why aren't they doing what that you tell them to do? And it's because, I don't know. And I guess that's where you come in, Tabby, with um, a lot of things that you do with the psychological side of things. And that's why I guess I'm quite interested in what it is that you're doing because it's there is a huge amount of psychology that's involved with this and down to climate change and the uh, i'm completely digressing i know but we were talking about politicians and the lack of 
understanding of climate change within the political world as compared to the rest of the world. There's almost more people that don't believe in climate change that are in politics than not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is it. I mean, that's, that's almost like a whole, whole, whole interesting conversation. But yeah, the whole psychological aspects of it are fascinating. And, you know, for me, it comes down to the simple thing. We protect what we love. So how do you get people to love nature and start there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then how has a career in environmental management impacted the way that you live your daily life? <laughs> I, I, you sent me the you sent me the um questions beforehand and i did jot down literally just some notes to remind myself and um you don't want to be reading off the screen as it were and the, what i've written is it hasn't um explanation mark and i don't i'm not trying to be difficult but no. um it's i think the reason why it hasn't is because it's always been there and so um i found it really hard to answer that and i just think you have to have a pragmatic approach to life and i know i've got some friends who are in politics and we do argue or but we what i the way reason why i get on quite well with them is because even though i'm quite a stubborn um environmentalist i have a very pragmatic approach and the way i look at things is why are we using oil for something that we can use for something else in 2000 years time you know we can we don't need to make a plastic cup we can make it out of something else and you know that's the way i'm looking at it is why are we making our energy out of something that's depleting when we've got the resources and it's cheaper to use renewables why can't we keep this oil i'm all for using the oil i've you know, I don't have a problem with the fact that we're using the oil. I think that actually the climate will probably be all right if we use it over a period of 10,000 years. I think that'll be okay. I think the fact that we're using it in such a short space of time is a massive problem. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not an academic and I don't know if that's necessarily true over 10,000 years, but it's kind of logical, isn't it? And it's taking a pragmatic approach to what it is that you do and making sure that you're doing it, you know, sensibly. Awesome. I, I, I like that. That's, that's probably one of my favourite answers to that question yet. So then who do you most admire and why then, Will? Um, so I've always read autobiographies. I love reading about people. I love understanding where people have come from. I My dad was a real rags to riches. You know, he left school at 12, bet bet with cards for a living and um, had to pay. He didn't have a dad. So he paid his way through his bro brother to go to school and his mum and then came to London and 15 years old, paved, everything's paved with gold. And so I'm kind of, he sent me to private school because that was the one thing that he really wanted his children to do was he was like, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to send my children to private school because I want the best for them because I didn't have it. And I guess for me, it's, I've always admired people that have just, you know, worked doggedly and just got to where they want to get to. And I love reading autobiographies for that reason. And um, I guess one of the first books that I read was Bloomberg by Bloomberg. Um, and the fact that he knew absolutely everyone in 
the business and in particular the cleaning staff because he felt they were the most important people within his organization because they were the people that actually t- ticked the whole business over and re- having recently read the alan sugar um autobiography and i read it because i I feel, I'm being honest, I didn't particularly like the sound of that man. I didn't really watch, I don't have a TV, but I did watch um, it a couple of times and I thought, oh God, he's a bit of an ass. But actually, you read it, that's a TV persona. His, the people that have been with Alan Sugar have been with him since day one. And that's loyalty. And that was the same with you read in the Bloomberg. It's the same thing that you see in the Richard Branson um, autobiography. It's loyalty. And it's because he lo- they all look after the people that work around them. And I think that is incredibly important for me. And who do I most admire and why? Anyone that looks after the people around them. And hence becoming a B Corp, because that almost embraces uh, that whole ethos of, loyalty because you've got to have good maternity pay you've got to have good paternity pay you've got to look after your staff you've got to be open and honest with your supply chain with your staff you know it embraces everything that i absolutely love about people that i admire yeah no i i like that look after the people around them and um for me it's 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 a sign of um a really effective leader so then, what is one of the most favourite memories of a time of place in nature for you and why, Will? We used to go to a place called Aberdovey in Wales and um, my grandparents went on their honeymoon there and they loved it so much they bought a caravan and spoke to a local farmer and put it in a field in the 1950s. And my parents ended up taking it over uh, when my grandparents ended up in getting a holiday home in Aberdovey. And there was no water, no electricity, no utilities. We used to have to get the water from Aberdovey from the local car park and um, put it into buckets, etc., and take it back the three or four miles into um, back to the caravan. And favourite memories of the time and place in nature, I mean, that is, I guess, is natural as you can get and i love we spent every summer and every easter there come you know rain or cold or whatever and yeah sometimes it was pretty miserable being a 13 year old boy stuck in a cow field in the middle of nowhere with no electricity you couldn't you were reading a book by candlelight because your mum thought it was great and you had to dig a hole in order to go to the loo <laughs> and you know but actually as time grew on my my dad got more interested i guess in trying to get things a bit easier for him so we designed a um reed bed loo we found some old solar panels and we started putting a bit of electricity on so that we had lights at night and i don't know it's it's now an amazing place um um, in that it's completely off the grid, but and the farmer absolutely loves the fact that we're there because we look after his cows as and when um, we're there. So he doesn't even visit. So we could just phone him and say, "Look, we think there's a cow that's a bit lame." And we're talking about a bunch of Londoners now going to a cow field. And I guess um, just I loved the fact that we were off the grid, and it was brilliant. And they're very happy memories. <laughs> Excellent. So then how has this experience influenced and impacted your commitment to sustainability then? I guess it's given me an understanding of what it is that you can do. Yeah. 
I like that. So then what is the one thing that you want people to take away from our chat today then, Will? Reduce their environmental impact, but understand where you are and what you're doing. And it doesn't necessarily need to be massive changes. One of the things that came up in an interview um, we, when we were interviewing for this recent job role was we had quite an academic chap um, that had learnt everything through journals and through his teachings and he was telling us how you had to spend quite a lot of money to get the big wins and and I and I didn't want to you know repute him in the interview but he quite liked he actually he was he was brilliant absolutely brilliant and he quite liked a bit of a challenge and I said to him I'm not sure if I totally agree with you I'm really sorry and he said okay go on then and one of the things you can do is just do little changes and actually those little changes can potentially be quite big impacts and it's just understanding where you are and what you're doing and if that you know then you'll be able to change an awful lot more yeah no that's great words of advice thank you so much for joining us today will thank you thank you very much for having me if listening to the show has inspired you to find out more about nature-centred business, go to www.earthself.org and click on the Nature-Centred tab. And as always, if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please get in touch. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to Paul Hargreaves, the founder and chief exec of Cotswold Fair Limited, a speciality and fine food wholesaler supplying nearly 2,000 retailers throughout the UK. Cotswold Fair was, in 2015, certified as a B Corporation, which are companies that meet the highest standards of overall social and environmental performance. New episodes of Sustainable are released every Tuesday. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud. Get them sent straight to your inbox by signing up at www.earthself.org. Or come on over and join the conversation on our LinkedIn podcast page.